Welcome to the Beards and Bible Podcast, a podcast that brings together a love for good beer and Bible discussion. You can find us on Instagram at Beers and Bible underscore and on Twitter at Beers and Bible P1. You can also email us at Beers and Bible Podcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible, please consider leaving a five-star rating and review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast. In the words of the reformer Martin Luther, whoever drinks beer, he is quick to sleep. Whoever sleeps long does not sin. Whoever does not sin enters heaven. Thus let us drink beer. So let's join our hosts Rick and Patrick for this week's discussion. Welcome to episode number 58 of the Beers and Bible podcast. I am Patrick. And I am Rick. And we're glad to be back for one more week. Yeah, we're Not back. We're going to stop after I, this I, week, I was about but... to say, the way, the way you set that up was like, and this is the end. No. Um, <laughs> no, we're glad to be back with you this week. Um, we've got a we've got a killer episode yeah, on, t- on tap for you tonight. So, um. Rick, how's your how's your week been going? It's it's been actually a couple of weeks since we've recorded. It has. Um, so uh, Patrick has has officially moved. We've been talking about that for a few weeks, and he's officially moved now. Yep, we are and uh, in the new house. And this week, um, we have had some challenges going on. We've had power outages and all kind of fun stuff happening. So it's kind of made it fun to figure out how to record when you don't have power or internet. Um, but we got power back recently so we're back to rolling and uh here we are episode number 58 yeah so yeah like like rick said uh, me and my family we have moved into our new house uh, we're still in the same area that we were in before so we didn't move like to a different state or a different region or anything like that but um it has been you know just a bit of a headache to get moved Moving in it's terrible yeah you never realize how much stuff you have until you have to touch all of it multiple True. times within a span of a couple of weeks it's and true. uh there's still some work to be done we're, but we're getting there so uh never wanted to throw stuff away as much as you do there right is, now, have you? Uh, there i i went through something this afternoon i was like you know what i don't need this and just i'm Garbage. i threw them they're old shirts and i just threw them away because i'm not gonna wear them again so that's right. um so tonight we have um we have not been able to get the same beers, and it's the first time in quite a while. It's been a minute since we, I mean, it's been... Episode 33 was the last time it happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we've been, so, we've done, actually, the th- knowing where where we, where, that we don't live near the same place, it's been really uh, surprising that we've been able to get the same beers for as long, but um, it was inevitably going to catch up to us, so. Yes. So, Rick, why don't you go ahead and tell our listeners what you've got on your so, end there. Yeah, so tonight I have the Salted Caramel Porter from Anderson Valley Brewing Company. And uh, this one caught my eye because I've had Salted Caramel Whiskey before. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I mean, it's got to be as good as that. Yeah. I'm hoping it's going to be at least as good as that. But Anderson Valley Brewing is in Boonville, California. So they are way on over there um but this uh this porter has an abv of 9.5 percent and 16 ibus um and the the description is exactly what it is it's a salted caramel porter it's a slightly sweet porter brewed with select additions of crystal malts and sea salt 
to create the flavor of peanut brittle, which is one of my favorite candies for the record, and caramel without being cloying. I don't know what that means. Is it uh, cloying? Yeah, cloying. C-L-O-Y-I-N-G, cloying. Um, Jared. My favorite. No, sorry. Disgust or sicken. Okay, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so this is caramel without being disgusting. Um, but I love the food pairing that they have recommended for this, uh, this mm-hmm. beer. And the first one listed there is chocolate-covered bacon. Ron Swanson would be so proud. That's I, 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 really, I do, really do think he would be. Um, <laughs> so this is for you, Ron Swanson. Yes. So. So what do you got there for tonight, Patrick? So I've got um, from the Green Man Brewing, uh, Green Man Brewing Company in Asheville, North Carolina. I've just, it's just called the Porter Rich Dark Ale. Um, well, there you go. Yeah, really simple. Um, it has got an ABV of 6% and 40 IBUs. Um, and the their description here says it's a dark, full body. It's dark, full-bodied and rich in flavor. Uh, Green Man Porter was wonderfully easy, is wonderfully easy to drink. It offers a creamy, smooth mouthfeel and finishes with distinctive chocolate notes. Um, so we're going to be similar. Similar, but I feel like I'm going to be missing out on the salted <laughs> caramel there. So. Salted caramel is great. Yeah, it really is. It's Hold, hold your can up one more time. Yeah, my can is like... It's that just, thing looks like the cover to a Peter Gabriel record. Is what it I looks think like. it might be because, <laughs> like, several like they have the same. So my can's got like this guy with leaves all around his face, and um, all of their drinks use the same logo in some variation. It's just been changed. Uh, one of them's got like a clown looking face. One of them he's wearing sunglasses. One of them he's got a bow tie. Um, so, that, I, I mean. It's been a while since we've done a porter, honestly. It has been a while. Um, I can't remember the last porter we did other than Dragon's Milk. I feel like we've done one other, but I don't... Oh, yeah, we did. Shake Chocolate Porter. Yep. Episode 18 from uh, Boulder Beer Company. Yeah. So, oh, and the, the vanilla porter the following week. We did porters of back-to-back That's weeks. That's right. So... Breckenridge. Yeah. But, I mean, it's been a while since we've done a porter, and I feel like it's probably got more to do with our selection... Mm-hmm. Like what's available to us, like where I live is IPAs everywhere. Yes. Um, if we can find anything other than IPA, <laughs> we're probably going to give it a try. So I think we're I think we're both like we never we didn't really like IPAs to begin this whole process, and they've mm-hmm. slightly grown on both of us. But we're still not like man, well, I really want to go have a good IPA. Well, and and the thing is like part of this thing for me was to branch out and just drink other types of beer mm-hmm. and it's been very IPA heavy. Yes. So yes it has. So I we could talk about this while we're not when we're not recording, but <laughs> I would uh I'd be okay with with discussing maybe an IPA hiatus for for like 10 <laughs> weeks or something like that where we just say no IPAs. I am down with that. So I'm down with that. But you so you've got the Anderson Valley Salted Caramel Porter, and I've got the Green Man Porter. I think it's uh, time to crack these open, pour them up, and see what happens. Let's go to town. All right. Here we go. Three, two, one, crack. Oh, yeah. I can tell right now. This is, uh, I'm liking the way this is smelling. Ooh, that is, so that is dark. Yes. 
a porter should have low head and be very uh, opaque. Yeah, basically look like uh, coffee or root beer. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm looking at our sheet. I think we got the, our descriptions backwards here. So I'm going to fix that real quick. Okay. I mean, I don't know how much. I don't know. Just delete that. And then paste this. And then come over here. And. Uh, is that? that? Shoot. I screwed up. It's all right. Anderson Valley slash slash. So, the initial smell test on this thing, it smells like, um, it smells like chocolate drizzled peanut brittle. Ooh. Like, it, I'm, I'm trying to, trying to think of something, like, I, I want to say it's almost like a bread pudding type. Okay. Okay. Uh, type smell. But, yeah, this thing is, uh. This thing is smelling really good, so I'm ready to turn this thing up yeah, and, and see how it a... see how it tastes. Mine smells very sweet, which a porter should be somewhat sweet. Well, it smells very sweet, like because it's got that chocolatey yeah. notes to it. Well, let's uh, let's turn these bad boys up and see what see what happens here. So let's do it. Here we go, Porter Week. <laughs> Bottoms up. <laughs> An impromptu porter week. <laughs> okay. So, two, two notes on mine to begin with. Salt and caramel. Salt and caramel, yes. But uh, one of the things I didn't I didn't mention this, but um, this beer is aged in bourbon barrels. Mm-hmm. So it's similar to like a bourbon barrel stout, okay, uh, or a bourbon barrel beer, which I do like those. Uh, one of my favorites is the Kentucky Bourbon Barrel Ale. Mm-hmm. Um, I can taste the bourbon in this beer. <laughs> well, dang. That might be why it gets 9.5% ABV. Because um, it's got some extra alcohol and a little bit of bourbon in it, too. <laughs> no, this thing, mine is mine is good. You look like you're still thinking, so so I'm going to go. Um, this, this, to me, is not a chugging beer. This is a drink-it-slow beer. Mm-hmm. But it is a very good drink-it-slow beer. Okay. Um, it's got the, it's got the heaviness. What's the ABV again? 9.5. Yeah, that's also a good indication that you're not supposed to chug it. <laughs> True. <laughs> use, use, use your brain there, people. But no. Um, but it's 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 rich. It's thick. Like it's almost like a dessert. Like, is you know, it, I mean, is you, it like you get a good? Is it like syrupy? It's a little syrupy. Yes. Okay. Um, it's it's almost like it, I feel like it has the consistency of like drinking like bourbon on the rocks. Um, I, I can feel the. The burn as it goes down, um, but it's got that. It does have that salted, sweet flavor. It's it's not as peanut brittle as I was thinking it was going to be. Um, when they say but, something like it tastes like peanut brittle in a can or whatever it was, they said, yeah, it's uh, the flavors of peanut brittle and caramel without being cloying, which mm-hmm. means disgusting. So, right. Um, but with that said. I will, I'm going to come in and I'm going to give this one four out of five Luthers. This one is good. Um, 
it's kind of what I thought it was going to be mm-hmm. a little bit. The peanut brittle got me a little excited thinking I was going to give it four and a half and, and it's not quite there, mm-hmm. but this is a really good after dinner beer. Um, you know, if you're going to have chocolate covered bacon for dessert, then you can definitely have a salty caramel porter to go with that chocolate covered bacon. Mm-hmm. And it would be a great dessert for, for an evening after you've eaten, you know, a two and a half pound porterhouse or T-bone and, and you've, you've eaten 17 eggs like Ron Swanson would do. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm going to come in at four Luthers out of this one. Uh, it's really good. I would probably go back. I'm not upset, uh, that I have, it, ironically, it only came in a four pack. So I only have three left now. Um, you've been, you've, been, you've been hanging on to those for a while because you picked <laughs> up your beer like two weeks ago. I did. I did. We, we knew we were going to have a week off. And so I went ahead and, and got, uh, some beer and they've, they've all been in there and I, they've been tempting me with their beerness, yeah. their productive beerness. And, and I've been having to avoid them. <laughs> <clears throat> so, but that's where I'm at. Four Luthers out of five for the Anderson Valley salted caramel porter. What about you, Patrick? So I am. I th- see it's it's hard and I think this might be because I don't have a lot of porter experience so I don't really know what I'm supposed to be ex- like experiencing right now mm-hmm. um but it's good it's it's a very it is a very dark uh tasting beer but it's also very full like the description says um I wish it had a little more chocolate flavor in it. Like it's not as like it said, like it says finishes with distinctive chocolate notes. And I'm like struggling to find that a little bit, Um, (laughs) but I'm not going to hold that against it. It is really good. I'm also going to give my um, green man Porter four Luthers. Um, It's a good one. And I feel like I could probably drink mine a little faster than Rick could drink his. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's only 6% ABV. I'm not going to like shotgun one or anything, but <laughs> it's good. And, and it's, um, you know, I've got five more. So it's uh, a pleasant surprise that I was not expecting. That's good. That's so. always good to hear from a beer is when you, and, and porters, uh, we haven't done many porters, uh, and so, because they are, they're a little bit more difficult to find down here. And it's also been um, a very long time since we did any porters. It's true. It's true. Uh, so maybe we'll find some more. If you're a porter fan, uh, suggest some porters for us to try. We'll, we'll gladly try anything we can get our hands on. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so there you go. That is the salted caramel porter and the green man porter. Um, salted caramels from Anderson Valley. Both of them getting four Luthers today. Mm-hmm. From Rick and Patrick. Yep, yep, and yep. Uh, we hope you enjoyed that review. Now we're going to go on and we're going to continue in our discussion about the Bible. And we're going to talk about the historical verification, the historical accuracy of the Bible. Uh, and this is kind of part of that series that we've been going on about the Bible and, and how Christians can view and use and study and hopefully just be uh, some lessons. So we'll be back right after this musical break here. Welcome back. We are here. We're still drinking our beers. I think Patrick might be almost done. I'm like 
barely halfway done with mine. I'm almost done, and I might get up and get another one. So, if you see yes. if you see me bail for just a second, <laughs> no. Well, I'm not going far because my fridge is right there. But lucky, I know. I want a fridge in my office. My beer fridge is in my <laughs> office. So anyway, I don't have a beer fridge in my office. I'm not that cool. But uh, but yeah. So we're back, and today, um, in our series whatever you're going to call this on the Bible. <clears throat> First week, we just kind of talked about what the Bible was, um, how we should think about it, how we should study it. And mm-hmm. then uh, mm-hmm. last week we talked about, what did we talk about last week? Uh, how to disagree, basically how Christians could disagree and how we understand and, and interpret the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, and then today we're going to talk about the historical accuracy of the Old and New Testaments. Yes. So... This is a this is a fun topic because um, this is some some things that I have actually done a little bit of studying on uh, in my in my theological studies. I wrote a paper um, about a guy named Bart Ehrman, and I think I've mentioned him a few times mm-hmm. uh, on the podcast. Uh, but he is a New Testament, specifically a New Testament critic, um, and he he has several books um, that are intriguing. Uh, I've read several of them. And they're they're interesting. He's very very smart, and he makes uh, logical arguments. But if you know just a little bit of facts about the Bible, then mm-hmm. they're very easily deconstructed. Yeah. And so so, uh, but if you don't know anything about the Bible, then you you hear it and you go, man, that's why would people trust the Bible? You know. And and so uh, so yeah. So we're going to talk about the the reliability of the Bible, the Old and New Testament, and we'll just start at the beginning. We'll go with the Old Testament. Yes. Um, Patrick, can yes, we Rick. trust the Old Testament? Yes. Why? Why can we trust the Old Testament? Um, because Scripture is our authority, and Scripture says that it is trustworthy, and Scripture is our authority. <laughs> but that's circular reasoning, Patrick. Isn't that what people say? <laughs> That's what they say, and it might be cir- circular reasoning, but it's the reasoning we have to go with. Yes. So, do we have a grounds to say that Scripture is our authority? Yes, we do, because Scripture itself says it's the authority. Mm-hmm. Um, and we believe that Scripture is, is God-breathed. Um, that's what Second Timothy three sixteen and 17 tells us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, so we, we believe that, because we believe the Word of God by faith. Um, but is there... Can we offer some historically evidential proof or evidence that that contributes to the reliability of the Old Testament? Yes. Yes, we can. How can we do that? Um, well, there's different. I mean, the main one that the, these guys point out in the book, um, and I'm not sure if this is where you're going with this, but this is where I'm going to go with this. Go with it. So the so you know for a long time. And for and by a long time, I mean like up until recently, in the span of history, mm-hmm. um, it has been much easier just to look at the Old Testament specifically and say, you know, this isn't accurate. This isn't you know this stuff didn't happen or this stuff isn't consistent. Um, mm-hmm. And then in 1947. They find 223 manuscripts in the Dead Sea. Yes, and and the and they've those manuscripts have been dated to have existed 
125 years before Christ was born. Yes. And so, so, you know, these are the oldest pieces of the Bible that they have. And then they also look at it and it's, you know, they, they look at the Dead Sea Scrolls and compare it to the oldest text they had before that time. And it's 95% identical. Yes. And 95%, you know, being 95% identical could be like uh, a the is in the wrong spot or a mm-hmm. comma is in the wrong spot or, you know, it's not the grand, the whole meaning of the manuscript is completely wrong. It's, yeah. it's simple little things that the person who was caught, because remember computers and all that haven't always existed. You know, they had to, they had to hand copy scripture yeah. for thousands of years. And you've got these people who, while God is sovereign and God is, um, you know, he, he is authoritative with his word and he is ensuring that it is consistent. People who handwrite stuff are inevitably going to make a mistake that changes, can change the meaning slightly or, yeah. or whatever. Um, so, I mean, I think the Dead Sea Scrolls are probably the the best example to look at as a, you know, it is consistent with later translations and it predates Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and I think I think that's a good place to start when we talk about the, especially when we talk about Old Testament, we get to New Testament later. When we talk about specifically Old Testament, I think that's a good place to start. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, I've, I've always heard of critics uh, or textual critics is what they're called. Mm-hmm. They will, they will talk about the scribe process and, and how, you know, they basically compare the scribe process to the game telephone. If you've ever played the game telephone, it's always a, it's a, it's a funny joke because you, you start off with, you know, uh, my friend Sally went to the store and you end up with my grandma, Ma, my grandma Mally, you know, came home from the whatever, and and you end up with something completely different, and it doesn't make any sense, and it's it's completely out of whack. Yeah, or you have the one kid who's not playing right. Yeah, and so they they've always compared the scribe process to the telephone game, and and that is is just not an accurate picture of the way scripture was was passed down through the ages mm-hmm. um number one it began as an oral tradition and and when it was an oral tradition it was very very set i mean it was when your whole culture depended on nothing but oral tradition mm-hmm. you had to tell it right and it had to be and you had to make sure that the people who were behind you understood it exactly like it was supposed to be understood and so um you end up with we you, when you have the writing of the law and and what's called the Torah, the first five books of the Bible: Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy has the command in chapter six to where you're supposed to teach these things to your children, and so um, they would learn the law and then they would teach their children the law. Mm-hmm. And it, and it wasn't like a you know it, it it it's not really like what we think today. It was a very very intensive type of of learning for these kids. And so, you know, the majority of, of Hebrew children would have had bare minimum, probably 75 to 80% of the Torah memorized. Right. Um, and so, and the, and the ones who were kind of the cream of the crop, the ones who would be chosen as, as leaders in the next generation, they would have the entire thing memorized. Mm-hmm. And so, so 
that leads into this scribal process and, and the guys detail out this, the scribal process. And I'm not going to go into a ton of detail on that one, but let's just say that, that there's not, this is not the telephone game. We're not talking about the telephone game here. You know, we're talking about a very, very specific, if you were a scribe in that day, think of that as like a modern day, um, I want to say printing press, but even that's not accurate because, Mm -hmm. because it was more intense than that. But you, where you have a book before it goes to printing press, it goes through multiple editors and it goes and everybody has to proofread it. And they look for every single comma and every single period and make sure that every single thing is right. And even with our printing press technology that we have today, you'll still pick up a book with a mistake in it. Right. You know, and, and, but that doesn't mean that you don't trust that book because there's a there's a comma missing or there's a, a word misspelled or something like that. You don't you don't mistrust that book. Mm-hmm. You just say you say, oh, that was a mistake. And and for for someone to get ninety five percent of of the information and the words and the lettering and, and all of that correct, I mean, you there's hardly any people who bat nine fifty in baseball. Right. For any stretch of time. <laughs> For any stretch of time. Right. Much less thousands of years. Right. You know. And so so the scribal process goes into this transmission of the text mm-hmm. and, and and then we have that text being confirmed by the Dead Sea Scrolls and, mm-hmm. and the Dead Sea Scrolls have been um have really been passed around for for the last several years mm-hmm. on display and you can see them and all that yep. kind of stuff. And it's a neat thing to see. Um, but, but what that does is because you got to remember this as well, the Bible and and the old Testament specifically was not written by one person, you know, it's believed that Moses wrote most of the the Torah. And then you have, uh, the chronicler who wrote the Kings and Chronicles. And then you have the Psalms, which are written by some of them by David, some of them by Solomon. You have Proverbs that's written by Solomon. You have Ecclesiastes that's written by Solomon. And then you have the prophets who all wrote their own book. All of these books interweave together. Mm-hmm. And and imagine if if J.K. Rowling would have said, all right, um, I want eight different people to write all of the Harry Potter books. And then when we get done, they have to all, and, you're, and it's going to be across eight generations. And when we get done, they're all going to be exactly alike. And the story is going to weave together perfectly. Do you think that would have happened? I don't think so. Right. You know, but that is exactly what happened with scripture, right. you know, multiple generations, thousands of years, and still you have this continual narrative that flows all the way through uh, the the Old Testament, which leads up to the person and work of Jesus Christ, which is this kind of the centrality of the New Testament. So mm-hmm. um, you have the central figure of the Bible, who is Jesus Christ, and then you have all of the narratives and stories that are a, an archetype or a literary nuance of pointing towards Christ in some way. And so, so yeah, you, you have this, this historical reliability, you have this textual reliability. It's the, the Bible as a whole, and we're going to get to the new Testament here shortly is one of the most attested books in all of history. Um, and and specifically the new testament is mm-hmm. is one of the most attested books in all of history um and so to to doubt the reliability of the new testament is is really becoming more and more of a uh, i hate to say it this way but it's becoming more of a child's game mm-hmm. because it's so easy to say nope here's what the facts and the evidence are and right. and 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 when you get into arguments like what, what Bart Ehrman makes against the New Testament where, okay, well, 
let's say we trust the text, but we can doubt the author because of this reason and this reason. And then he starts bringing out these little tiny nuances in the book. And you're like, eh, you know, I don't, I don't know that I would go for that. And then he, you know, he brings in the, the author's intent. And I'm like, okay, hang on, time out. Um, how do you know that was his intent? You know, because you've got a hundred other scholars that say, nope, that wasn't the intent. <laughs> and so, um, it's, it's a, it's really kind of a, he said, she said, um, but but scribal trans, scribal transitions and scribal recordings lead to the the consistent replication of what we know as scripture as far mm-hmm. as the old testament is concerned right okay so now we move on to the new testament we say okay what about the new testament um we we have these old old versions of of the the old testament they were predated you know they're before christ and they they attest for 95 percent of it what about the new testament there there has to be some type of gap in the new testament right right (laughs) you lost me there for a second i'm going to be honest um so if we are if we are moving to the new testament and and we say there's a 400 year gap between the old testament and okay right okay okay um, we've got a whole new set of authors. There's going to be something that goes wrong. That's the, that's the argument that they make. There's, there's something that's gone wrong here and somebody's either read and, and copied something or they've plagiarized something or they forged something or all of these things that you can say against a text that makes you want to not believe that text. Right. Okay. Um, well, when it comes to the new Testament, the, the key to that is, when there was a forgery, you know, typically there was only one person who would forge something uh, or, or they would forge it a bunch of times, but they wouldn't get it exactly right the same time every time. Mm-hmm. Well, because of the multitude of copies that we have of the New Testament, we can verify, again, 99% of the New Testament is verifiably accurate. Okay. So you're talking about, and, and one of the arguments that Bart Ehrman makes is, well, there are there are some three hundred to four hundred thousand mistakes in the New Testament between all of these manuscripts. Okay, well let's let's break that down a little bit. We have somewhere in excess of fifty seven hundred manuscripts of the New Testament, mm-hmm. and if each one of those contained five mistakes of a New Testament, then you're talking five mistakes out of the entire New Testament times fifty seven hundred. Manuscripts, I mean, you're you're at fifty thousand, forty thousand mistakes right there, right? You know, and then you go back and look at the mistakes, and the majority of the mistakes are a misplaced comma, a misspelled word, you know, a punctuation error, something they're, like they're, that. They're not they're not mistakes in content; they're mistakes in grammar. Exactly, exactly. And if you've ever gone to seminary and gotten one of your papers graded, you know exactly what it means to have uh, your grammar corrected mm-hmm. by your professors, who are all grammar. Insane. Nice choice of words there. <laughs> but I mean, you know, it, it's like you've always said, like words mean things at the same token, punctuation and, and how, how words are arranged matter mm-hmm. or, they, or they shouldn't matter. They should. And if you have that, if you have a mistake and, and it changes the meaning of it, mm-hmm. Then, then I can understand you have an issue. And, right. and realistically, there are maybe one or two 
mistakes in the New Testament that actually could possibly change the meaning of it. Right. You know, I, but, I, I keep thinking of like, so we've, we've been talking about this and sorry for anyone who hasn't seen it, but I'm about to spoil a small bit of, uh, of something. So, um, we have recently seen Hamilton for the first time. Yes, well, I say, I say recently, like in the last couple of months, but it's in, been on repeat on all of, like we go somewhere. It's probably playing. If we're in the house. <laughs> it's on like that's how, so there's a, there's one song where Hamilton has written a letter to, um, his wife's sister and, he placed a comma in a different spot when he wrote the letter mm-hmm. and she says it changed the meaning. So, so you think yeah. like so he, he wrote my dearest comma and then her name instead of my dearest, her name and then comma. So like that does, you know, that comma being one word earlier mm-hmm. than where you would think it would go completely changes the meaning. Whereas at the same time, you know, we're talking about in, in the New Testament, if a comma is in one different spot or, or whatever, then it could slightly alter the meaning, but it doesn't it doesn't alter the entire meaning of the entire writing. No. Or and it shouldn't again. It shouldn't. And and because we have so many copies, that's the that's the beauty of it, is we're able to Compare. determine the correct you know, what the correct version of it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, if, know, if, because, if we have if we have fifty copies and forty eight of them have the comma in one spot, then we, it's safe to assume that the other two messed up. Exactly, exactly. And you know, the we talked about scribes in the Old Testament. I think it's it's worth talking about scribes in the New Testament as well. Mm-hmm. You have an entire group of I don't know if, if you knew this, um, but monks actually started uh, in the fifth century with the intent of copying scripture. That's okay. why they went into solitude and. Um, also, uh, monks learned how to brew beer. So this is an apical discussion for today. <laughs> we should have a monk episode. They, well, there, so there's actually, uh, it's called Trappist beer. Okay. Uh, and it is beer brewed by monks mm-hmm. at a monastery. Have we talked about this? It's like very I expensive. Think we have. It's, it is very expensive. They're like a bottle of it, which is usually 16 ounces is about 10 or $12. Okay. Yeah. We have talked about this. So, um, it's very expensive, but it's supposed to be like the best beer ever. Um, it better be at $16 a bottle. <laughs> Just saying. It's a dollar an ounce. That's expensive. Yeah. Um, so anyway, back to the Bible. Um, but, but we have, we have these monks who have created all of these copies and they, they've done, they've separated themselves from society and taken on the task of accurately transmitting scripture down through the ages. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's where, that's where monks came from originally. But just to give you a comparison of the amount of copies of scripture that we have to the amount of copies of probably some of the most popular works in world literature. Yeah. Okay, let's just break it down in, into world literature. Um, I'm just going to I'm gonna read this off. So um, total manuscripts, total manuscripts completely of the Bible. We have somewhere around the, the vicinity of 25,000 total manuscripts. Okay. We have 5,600 full Greek manuscripts. Okay. And then, and then there's somewhere around 19,000 partials. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, everybody's aware of Homer and the Iliad. There are 643 copies of the Iliad. Mm -hmm. Um, Herodotus, the history of Herodotus. There are eight copies of that. Yeah. Um, Plato, Plato's works. There are seven copies of that. Uh, Caesar, the Gaelic Wars, 
uh, from Caesar. There are ten copies of that. Right. And and the one of the one of the more popular ones is from Tacitus. It's the Annals mm-hmm. from Tacitus. Uh, there are twenty copies of that one. So we're talking about the most, and and these are all widely accepted, historically accurate, uh, verified historians. Don't disagree. As far as I as far as I know about, they don't disagree over any of the language or any of the the uh, wording of mm-hmm. any of these books. And uh, six hundred and forty three. There's six hundred and forty three, and we have twenty five thousand either partial or full manuscripts of the New Testament. So, so why do you think that is? Like, why why is it that it's so much easier for historians or um, I, I guess lay people even too, to accept Plato's seven total copies as truth. Whereas we've got 25,000 manuscripts or parts of manuscripts of the new Testament and people want to dispute that. Like, like why is it? Why, why, why? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I mean, I don't know. Uh, the, the only thing I can think is that people don't, uh, they don't want to hear the truth. Um, if you've read Romans one, you know that people turned from their turned from their the ways that they should be mm-hmm. against and and turn to the the opposite of what they should be. Right. Um, and it speaks to the depravity of a man's heart. You know that it's uh, if you get into Romans three, it says that no one seeks after God, and right. so you know everything within us wants to be our own little god we want to make ourselves our own little god and so mm-hmm. we reject something that claims to have authority over our lives yeah and and that's where that's where the gospel is such a beautiful picture because it's the gospel that comes in and changes our heart and and reforms and that's why we call it regeneration right uh, we talked about regeneration uh in the packer discussion mm mm-hmm. We, we have to be regenerated before we can have that desire, that, that willingness to, to respond to the Word of God mm-hmm. and respond to, you know, His call on our life. And, and so why do people reject it? I don't know. It doesn't logically make sense to me. But all I can say is that it's, it has to be something tied to the depravity of their soul and the depravity of their heart. Right. Um. You know, and, and if you read scripture, then then you see that happen throughout. You know, you look at the Exodus and, and God hardening the heart of Pharaoh. You know, I would think that after frogs and boils and locusts and flies and, you know, maybe give it three good plagues. You know, when the when the Nile River, your source of water turns to blood. Yeah, I'm out. I'm done. Whatever they need, they're, they're gone. See ya. <laughs> you right. Know? Um, but it, but it says, it clearly says in scripture that God hardened his heart so that he would not listen. Um, and so I don't, I don't understand it. It's not my job to understand. I don't think, um, but, but, but I do know that everything that happens in the history of the world has to be pointing to the glory of God. Right. And so, you know, for those of us who, who have been illuminated to the scriptures and those of us who have understood the scriptures and, and we want to take that good news to everybody, it doesn't mean that everybody's going to accept it. You know, um, when you talk about the depravity of your heart, you say that your your heart is a heart of stone and it takes the work of God. That is that is the election of God to basically change that. And there's no other way that, that, that salvation can happen. And for those who are not changed, 
who live in the hardness of their heart, they will be, they will stand in judgment, just like Pharaoh stood in judgment, just like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all of the, the figures of history that we have have stood in judgment before God. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Is there more to add? Do we, do we want to talk some more? I mean, I, th- I, th- I feel like that's a really good, maybe a good place to, to stop the, to just to hold that discussion because it's, I mean, we could go on and on about <laughs> how how they break it down here. Um, yeah, and, and well, it's. Sorry, I'll just ahead. say this. We'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up with this, um, and maybe maybe Patrick will have a few more comments too. But um, I I would encourage you, um, if you're a new believer, study the word. Maybe don't don't do what I'm about to tell you to do. Um, but if you're a strong, firm believer, Patrick's laughing at me right now. Um, if you're if you're a consistently strong, uh, mature believer, I would read books that are that are going to challenge the Bible, um, because the more you learn these types of arguments, the better you're going to get at defending Scripture. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, do do I agree with Bart Ehrman um, on any level? I think he makes some valid points that Christians need to address. Um, but no, I don't, I don't really agree with Bart Ehrman on a lot of stuff. Uh, I feel like Bart Ehrman would be a super great guy to sit down and have a chat with and drink a beer with and I'm uh, reading his books. So I feel like he would do that too. Um, but, but you know, we need to learn to get outside of our echo chambers because so many times a lot of Christians just say, Oh, well, the Bible is God's word and that's what it is. And, and when somebody says, well, why is the Bible God's word? They're like, well, because it is. Yeah, but why? Well, because it is. Yeah, but why? <laughs> you know, you sound, right. you sound like a, a three-year-old. Um, and so read stuff that is outside of the realm of, you know, affirming Scripture. Read stuff that is that is challenging to Scripture because the more you learn that, that type of information, the better you're going to be. Uh, and that really gets back to our discussion on apologetics a couple of weeks ago. Right. So, yeah, I, I, would, I would agree with Rick there. The... the the more you understand of another person's point of view, not agree, but understand, the more that you understand it, the more prepared and the better um, engaged. Yes, the the more engaged, the more prepared that you're going to be when those discussions come up. You know, I feel like too many times Christians kind of get caught, I mean, for lack of better words, terms with pants with their pants around their ankles, you know, <laughs> you know, there you get you get asked a question and you're like, uh, 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 I don't know, Jesus, like, like, <laughs> so the more that you can do to prepare yourself for when those discussions come up, and it's not like we're not saying like go out looking for guys who don't agree with you and be like, hey, what do you believe and why do you believe it and let me tell you why you're wrong, like, mm-hmm. like that's not healthy either um but the more that you can prepare for those conversations so that when they do come up you're not unprepared you're not you know you don't look like a like a um oh what's an idiot well not an idiot (laughs) i don't want to i don't want to call any of our listeners an idiot but like the less you look like a blind sheep yes you know the, the less you look like somebody who's just and and there is some aspect of seeing without or believing without seeing 
but the more that you understand and the more that you know about not just your own beliefs, but the beliefs of others, mm-hmm. I think the better prepared you're going to be inevitably when those questions come up because they will surely come up. Yeah. Ignorance should not be confused with faith. Yes. You know, and, and just accepting it, 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 there is a level of just accepting it. Yes. But there also has to be a deeper intellectual side of it Mm -hmm. as well. Yes. So, well, there you have it. There's some discussion about uh, the historical reliability of the Bible. Um, Can we trust it? Yes, we can trust it. Can we believe it? Yes, we can believe it. Um, And Patrick, if they want to find us on internet sites, where would they find us? I don't know about internet sites, but if you're on social media, you can find us on Instagram at beersandbible underscore. We're on Twitter at beersandbible p1. You can find us on Facebook by searching Beers and Bible Podcasts and looking for the uh, the logo, our, the lo- our logo right there. And then you can also email us um, over at beersandbiblepodcast at gmail.com. Dot com. Reach out. Ask us some questions. Suggest us some beers. That's right. Or just let us know that if you're enjoying the podcast, we'd really love to hear from anybody at this point. <laughs> right now, our notifications are here's one how, to none. Here are how, here's your notifications on Twitter, and that's pretty much it. That's the only email we get. Sometimes a brewery email, but yeah, we did get a shout out uh, from a podcast. We did uh, live with Big Bro. Big bro, he's on Instagram. Big bro, that's right. Yes, I kind of want to meet that guy because he sounds fun. Yeah, we should we should reach out to him and see if he'll. I don't know if we want him on here or not. I don't know. <laughs> Let's Listening re- to some of his stuff, he I don't know that he's one hundred percent in our vein, but he might be a good discussion to have. It might be it might be fun to talk to him. So, who knows? Anyway, who knows? We'll cross he's on tw- he's on Instagram at live at big bro. I think that's what live it is. with big bro. That's it. Yeah. B-R-U-H, live with Big Bruh, and I think he's on Twitter and possibly Facebook as well. So look him up, uh, listen to him, see if he's worth, see if he's any good. You should definitely tag him at the, we should tag him at the end the Yeah, we should. We're going to tag him on this one because he asked us to. He asked us, so we're giving him a shout out. I know yes. this is going to come out a couple of weeks late, so yeah. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, we want to give you a shout out, and, and uh, we appreciate you giving us a shout out. Yes. So... That's how we that's how we podcasters do this. But there you go. Like us, follow us, give us five star reviews, honest five star reviews. And uh until next week, we hope your beer stays cold and we will see you later. Peace out. If you enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible, please consider leaving a five star rating and review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast.